Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Islamic History Podcast. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail. This is a bonus episode filling in the space between Season 7 and Season 8. This episode is brought to you by Islamic History Exclusive. We have four seasons so far discussing the struggle between Ibn Zubair and the Umayyads, another series on the life of Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, and two seasons of the Umayyad Caliphate, the second one of which we are currently discussing at this time. The most recent episode discussed the final phases of the Umayyad conquest of Sindh in modern Pakistan. If you need to hear more Islamic history, consider joining Islamic History Exclusive. Just open up your Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps and search for Islamic History Exclusive. You can also join by visiting patreon.com slash Islamic History or at IslamicHistoryExclusive.com. Now, if you don't want to subscribe, but you still would like to support the Islamic History Podcast, go to islamichistorypodcast.com slash donate. This episode is also brought to you by the Prophet Muhammad Podcast. It is a free podcast chronicling the life of Allah's last messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and it is available on all platforms. Before we begin this episode, just a quick disclaimer. All quotes in this episode and the previous episode come from the website siasi.org. That is S-I-I-A-S-I dot org. And courtesy of the translation done by Sheikh Muhammad Sharif ibn Farid. For more information, please visit siasi.org. All right, let's continue our discussion of the Sokoto Caliphate. In the previous episode, we discussed the origins of the Sokoto Caliphate. We began with the history and the slow decay of the Kanem-Borno Empire, which stretched across the modern nations of Chad and Nigeria. We discussed how this decay displaced and disrupted many of the local groups in the region. And finally, we also discussed the early life of the founder of the Sokoto Caliphate, Sheho Uthman Danfodio. And we also mentioned the many factors leading him to make hijrah in the early 1800s. Some of those factors are an an increasing awareness, an increasing Islamic awareness of the local populace. But this increasing awareness was coupled with an increasing suspicion from the governmental apparatus at that time. Uthman Danfodio and his followers were based in Gobir, and the sultan during Uthman Danfodio's earlier years of his mission the sultan was very accommodating to the Shehu. He was very accommodating to Uthman Danfodio and his followers. But after that sultan died and his sons took over and later sultans took charge, they began to look at Uthman Danfodio and his followers, his community, his jama'ah. They began to look at them kind of suspiciously. They began to pass laws that restricted their freedom. Seeing this change take place, Uthman Danfodio began to prepare his followers to leave Gobir. Gobir is in Hausaland, and Hausaland is in northern Nigeria. Uthman Danfodio began preparing his followers to leave Gobir. He also prepared them for jihad. He advised his jama'ah, his community, to start carrying weapons. Now, Uthman Danfodio's hijrah and his jihad, the philosophy of his hijrah and jihad revolved around 
five main principles, five primary ideas. Number one, the foundation of Islam is the implementation of the Sharia. So the foundation of Islam is the implementation of the Sharia. In order for one to say a nation or a kingdom is Islamic, it must be implementing the Sharia, the Islamic law. Number two, all Muslims must follow an imam or a caliph. All Muslims must be part of an Islamic-based structure, governmental structure. All Muslims have to follow either an imam, either a religious leader, or a caliph who is both a religious and political leader. Number three, Muslims living in the lands of disbelief must make hijrah to the lands of belief. Muslims living in the lands that are ruled by kufar, that are ruled by non-Muslims that do not implement the sharia, Muslims must migrate to the lands of Islam where these things are being implemented. Number four. Those who support the kuffar, the disbelievers, those who are not Muslim, should be considered disbelievers themselves. So Muslims who support the kuffar should be considered kuffar as well. And number five, jihad against the kuffar and the murtadin. Murtadin or murtad means apostate, someone who has left Islam, is obligatory. It is mandatory for Muslims to fight against the kuffar and the murtadin. These were the principles surrounding Uthman Danfolio's hijrah and his jihad. This is what his philosophy was based around. And based upon this ideology, based upon these five principles, Uthman Danfolio decided to leave Gobir with his followers. The reasoning being, the ruler at that time, Sultan Yunfa, whom we discussed in the previous episode, who had passed many laws that infringed on the religious freedoms of the Muslims of that region, this Sultan had transgressed too many Islamic principles. Therefore, Sheikh Uthman Danfolio felt it was obligatory for him to leave that nation, to leave that country at that time. And so this is what led to Uthman Danfodio to make the decision to leave that nation. The Sultan had transgressed Islamic principles, and based upon these five principles that the Shahu had, he had to leave that country. And this brings us to now the fighting between these two groups. Uthman Danfodio and his Jama'ah, they left Gobir. They made hijrah, moved to another part of the land where they could practice Islam freely. When the sultan heard about this, heard that they had made hijrah, he sent his army after Uthman Danfodio and his jama'ah. He also confiscated their property left behind in Gobir. And so now, with his army bearing down on them, with war coming upon them, the Jama'ah selected Sheikh Uthman Danfodio as their emir, and they began to call him Amir al-Mu'minin, commander of the faithful. 
The fighting then began. These two sides, the forces and the followers of Uthman Danfodio and the army from Gobir, led by Sultan Yunfa, they clashed several times over the next few months. But most of these clashes were really minor skirmishes. But little by little, however, the tide began to turn in the Shahu's favor. The thing is that people weren't really supporting the governmental apparatus at that time. Thus, many city-states and tiny sultanates of Hausaland of northern Nigeria were weak, they were corrupt, they weren't following and establishing Islamic principles, and the people who they ruled over generally hated them. Seeing things were getting out of hand, Sultan Yunfa decided to lead a large army against Sheikh Uthman Danfodio in February 1804. Now, Uthman Dan himself was not really a general. He was more of the spiritual leader of this movement. His son, Abdullah Fodio, really led the forces in this battle. In February 1804, the forces of Uthman Danfodio, led by his son Abdullah, and the forces of Gobir, led by Sultan Yunfa, they met and fought. Now, according to the story, the Jama'a, the forces of and the followers of Uthman Danfodio, were outnumbered and were using inferior weapons. Nonetheless, they won the fight, and this battle became known as the Battle of Tafkin Kwato. And with this victory, Uthman Danfodio's Jama'a benefited immensely from this victory. It was a huge morale boost. They seized a lot of plunder and booty from the Sultan's defeated army, and they were able to resupply and rearm themselves. And this victory, with this victory, Uthman Danfodio wrote his manifesto called Wathikat Ahnus Sudan. Wathikat Ahnus Sudan means the document or the manifesto of the people of Sudan. Wathikat means document or manifesto. Ahnu Sudan means the people of Sudan. And Sudan does not mean the modern nation of today. I'm sure you know this. It generally means sub-Saharan Africa. So after he wrote this document, and this document was really a declaration of war. It was a declaration of war on the disbelieving rulers of Hausaland. It contains Uthman Danfodio's reasoning behind his intentions to wage war on them. He gave several statements discussing the obligations of Muslims when it came to war and faith, and he gave certain scenarios where it's permissible to attack an independent state or kingdom. So after he wrote this document, the Shahu had it copied and dispersed throughout Hausaland, basically putting the rulers on notice that he was coming for them. Let's read some of the statements that Uthman Danfodio made in this manifesto and with this we can see the reasoning behind his decision to go to war in Hausaland. Quotes, and that by consensus the status of a town is the status of its ruler. If he be Muslim the town belongs to Islam but if he be heathen the town is a town of heathendom from which hijra is obligatory. And that to make war upon the heathen king who does not say la ilaha illallah is obligatory by consensus. And that to take the government from him is obligatory by consensus. And that to make war upon the heathen king who does not say la ilaha illallah on account of the custom of his town and who makes no profession of Islam is also obligatory by consensus. And that to take the government from him is obligatory by consensus. 
and that to make war upon the king who is an apostate and who has abandoned the religion of Islam for the religion of heathens is obligatory by consensus, and that to take government from him is obligatory by consensus. And that to make war against the king who is an apostate who has not abandoned the religion of Islam as far as the profession of it is concerned, but who mingles the observances of Islam with the observances of heathendom like the kings of Houseland for the most part is also obligatory by consensus. And that to take the government from him is obligatory by consensus. End quote. So this manifesto Wathikat Ahnu Sadan helped to kickstart the Shahu's jihad against the states of Hausaland. The people who had not taken a side before between his conflict with Gobir and Sultan Yunfa, now they had to make a decision. But many of these people were frustrated with the corrupt governments of Hausaland. They were tired of the governments and their and their constant fighting and their weird laws and their high taxations and their oppression. And many of them joined with the Jama'a of Uthman Danfolio and they believed in his mission. They believed in his mission and they believed that he would eventually be victorious and ultimately they were right about that one. There were others in other parts of Hausaland who Uthman Danfolio couldn't reach them at that time. He didn't have the reach to go after them. But they asked the Shahu for permission to wage war on his behalf. They asked for permission to rise up against their rulers on his behalf in their own homelands. So with all of this going on, the various rulers of Houseland, they were shocked. They were surprised. They stepped up their vigilance against the Shahu's followers. Anyone who claimed to be a follower of Uthman and Foda was putting their life in danger. And before long, all of northern Nigeria was at war. The first city to fall, the first city state to fall, was Bernin Kebi in 1805. This is in far northwest Nigeria, like 40 miles from the border of Niger. Then in 1807, three house estates, roughly 200 miles away from Bernin Kebi, three house estates also in northern Nigeria fell in quick succession all to Shaho Uthman Denfolio's forces. These were the cities or the city states of Katsina, Daura, and Kano. In 1808, the capital of Gobir, this is where Shehu Uthman Danfolio was actually born, it was sacked and the sultan who had caused all this problem in the first place, he was killed. And this broke the dynastic rule of the house of leadership in this region and this really broke their resistance as well. Many of the remaining house leaders eventually submitted to Uthman Danfolio and joined into his growing empire. The fighting also spread into the faltering remnants of the Kanem Borno Empire. The capital of the Kanem Borno Empire, Ngarzargamu, was attacked in 1808. Large portions of this old empire that was already decaying began to break off. Many of them became independent emirates, but they remained loyal to the Shehu, so they essentially became vassals of this growing Sokoto Caliphate. And this eventually led to the downfall of the Sefua dynasty. This was the Kanemborno ruling family. We discussed them briefly in the previous episode. This was the dynasty that first turned Kanem Borno into an Islamic empire. 
A new dynasty took over the Kanem-Borno Empire, which now became known as just simply the Borno Empire. This new dynasty was led by a man named Muhammad al-Amin al-Kanemi. And Muhammad al-Amin al-Kanemi was also an Islamic scholar, and he would often debate with Sheikh Uthman Danfolio and his son Muhammad Bello about the legitimacy of their jihad. Muhammad Bello, who was Uthman Danfodio's son, one of his sons, he discussed some of these this debate, some of the highlights of this of this debate in his manuscript called Enfakul Maisor. He discussed the practices of the people of Borno, how they mixed Islam with idolatry, and based upon these practices, he felt that according to his father's previous statements, we mentioned those uh, principles, those five principles that Uthman Danfodio had. Based upon that, this made jihad obligatory on these groups. Let's read one of Muhammad Bello's quotes from his manuscript. There are some of the people of this land who were sincere in their deen as is proper, while some of the people intermixed their deen with that which made it deficient. The majority of the rulers of this kingdom were from the latter group. This is because they hold to Islam, pronounce the word of divine unity, pray and fast. However, they refuse to part with the conventions of their ancestors. They fail to avoid anything from these corrupt customs. Thus, everyone who intermixes with them knows from necessity that they embellish themselves with that which only emerges from a disbeliever. Some of them do this out of blind following to others, while others do this of their own volition. So here we see how Muhammad Bello, who is Uthman Danfodio's son, Muhammad Bello is laying out the case of why it was permissible for him to wage jihad on these groups who claimed to be Muslim, but they were mixing their religion with elements of idolatry from their ancestors, basically traditional African religions. Muhammad Bello then goes on to say later on in that same manuscript, quote, Therefore, if you understand what we have mentioned, then you also realize that there can be no additional reason as an excuse for what they manifest. Like, for example, someone who makes prostration to an idol in order to obtain 100,000 golden dirhams. This is regardless if they verbally express the shahadatain, pray, fast, make pilgrimage, and do every act of righteousness. This is because consensus upholds that a single trait of disbelief can wipe out a thousand traits of Iman. Unquote. So in that passage, Muhammad Bello was stating that it doesn't matter how much good these rulers or these people are doing from an Islamic perspective. It doesn't matter how many acts of righteousness, how many forms of worship, how many types of worship they are doing, if they do one act of disbelief and prostrating to an idol is an act of disbelief from an Islamic perspective, if they do one act of disbelief, then it wipes out all the good that they've done and therefore they can be classed as disbelievers. That is my analysis of that paragraph there. So with this debating going back and forth, the jihad led by Uthman Danfodio just continued to spread. It got out of Hausaland down into eastern Nigeria as far as Adamawa, which is close to the Cameroon border. 
The fighting in this region contributed to the demise of the Oyo Empire, which was a Yoruba empire in southwestern Nigeria and also covered parts of Benin. As the empire, as this Oyo Empire declined, the northern segments of it rebelled, broke off, and joined in with Shehu Uthman Danfodio and the Sokoto Caliphate. And so by the 1840s, long after Shehu Uthman Danfodio had died, most of the military action in this region had been completed. The Sokoto Caliphate was established. There were still some parts of Hausaland that attempted to resist Sokoto, but most of them were eventually subdued. Shehu Uthman Danfodio, he was the nominal leader. Long before the fighting had really gotten intense, he had taken himself out of direct leadership. He was involved in the early, early stages, but after that, he really didn't want to become a military leader. He never really wanted this sort of leadership, political leadership in the first place. He didn't want political leadership. He didn't want military leadership. He simply wanted religious leadership. So he took himself out of the direct leadership of the growing Sokoto Caliphate. He had only done this in the early stages because his followers needed a leader. But in 1812, he decided to divide the empire into western and eastern divisions. He gave his son, Mohammed Bello, the governorship of the western half. He gave his brother, Abdullah Danfodio, governorship over the eastern half. Uthman Danfodio himself became the nominal head of state, really just the spiritual leader. But he spent most of his time just teaching and writing Islamic manuscripts. In 1815, his son, Mohammed Bello, built a house for him in a town called Sokoto. And the word Sokoto comes from the Arabic word for market, which is Suk. Sheikh Uthman Danfodio retired there, and this became the capital of the empire. He continued to live in Sokoto and teach in Sokoto up until his death in 1817, and that is why the empire has the name of Sokoto. It became known as the Sokoto Caliphate because its capital was the town of Sokoto. The Sokoto Caliphate lasted for a little bit over a century. However, in 1903, it was finally defeated and subjugated by the British. The religious position of the Sokoto Sultan still exists today, based in northern Nigeria, but as we mentioned previously, it only has religious authority. This will end our series on the Sokoto Caliphate. In the next episode, we will move on to a new topic. Inshallah, we will begin discussing Islam and slavery. But until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.